My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hi, welcome to episode 172 of Legally Clueless. Wow, it's it's still so wild to me that we have over 150 episodes. Like, eh? (laughs) We've come such a long way. Thank you so much for being part of the family. And I invite you to officially become part of the family on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. So if you log onto that website, you can officially join our LCA community. And you need to do it really quick because I'm working on sending something very personalized to the first couple of people who joined the community shout out to everybody who's done so already you will be receiving something special from me very soon so if you haven't joined the community log on to legallycluelessafrica.com and do so now another thing you need to do especially if you're into like digital media content creation is sign up for our first workshop, which is going to be a digital content workshop. I worked on this curriculum for a little over a year. I built it. I tested it out with small groups in universities, small groups of people who run small businesses. And this workshop that we're going to be doing on the 13th of July is going to take you through building sustainable content. So even just like podcasts, how many podcasts have you started loving from episode one and they just disappear from episode five, seven? Many factors contribute to that, one of that being sustainable content. So we're going to address that in the workshop. We're also going to address marketing your content, building a community, and the most important thing, which is revenue streams and building a business model around your podcast, around your digital media, the digital content that you're creating. So the nerd in me is really looking forward to this workshop. So if you head over to legallycluelessafrica.com and you click on the workshops tab, you'll get more information and you can buy your tickets there. We have very limited slots, by the way, and quite a few tickets have already gone. Shout out to everybody who's bought already. And um, yeah, so if I was you, I'd get my ticket right now. Okay, back to this episode. I don't know why I'm singing. Yeah, (sighs) this is part one of a two-part story and it's a story by Grasha who is a legally clueless listener. She wrote in, wanted to share her story. So part one is coming up a little later in this episode. Listen to this. When I was joining Standard 7 or something, it's when he came and told me, do you know I have sickle cell? I was like, what? You can't be having sickle cell. Kids with sickle cell don't live this long. Their voice on the other end was not him. Defense is very sick. You need to come and pick him because he had lost his memory. He couldn't remember my mom. He couldn't remember my dad. He could only remember me. My brother is a bubbly. He's a he was a bubbly. He is a bubbly guy. Everyone knew that he'll not survive. When they asked my parents to go and prepare for his burial. So 2018 was okay for him. 2019 was okay for him. Then in 2020, I think he fell ill. Early 2020. Mid-Jan. He fell ill, but he hid from everyone. On Monday morning, I called him again. Have you left Nairobi to Voy? Had you know? I'm in the hospital sick. I am calling. No one is speaking. A female voice answers. I'm like, hi, I want to talk to Griffins. She's like, Griffins is admitted. He was sad when I reached there and was like I and why are you not happy and she imagine these people are saying I am HIV positive so we're going to be getting to Grasha's story a little later in the episode but first the song of the week this is such a throwback this is such a throwback but I just remembered how much I love this woman 
And even when I was a kid, I was just always drawn to her music. I thought her voice was very different in such a refreshing way. And she just seemed like a cool chick. <laughs> and I just randomly remembered this song last week. And I was like, oh my God, note to self, you have to share this in the next episode of Legally Clueless. So the song is Feel So High by Desiree. It's so sweet and cute and just yummy. <laughs> and I hope it puts a smile on your face. There's a link to it in the show notes. Away from the song of the week, how how are you doing? Like, I really do hope you're doing well. I was reading an article on us being in the middle of the year and mid-year burnout being an actual thing. So I hope, one, that you're not facing it, but in the event that you are, that you're finding little pockets to kind of just like breathe and rest and yeah, taking it seriously because burnout is real. You can start having actual physical symptoms. So do not take it lightly do not normalize it. <laughs> Speaking of pockets of rest, this past week, I managed to rest, like really rest, rest. So randomly two weeks ago, I decided, and it's something so random for me because I feel like I hardly ever gift myself trips. Most of my travel is work other than going on like the solo retreats that I was meant to be doing more of. <laughs> And then life happened. And even those solo retreats I'd go for, maybe I'm filming somebody's Airbnb or somebody's hotel. At least the recent few ones I've been doing. So it's really still work. Or I'm like, I'm going to try and write and finish this concept. So it ends up not being a rest thing. But randomly two weeks ago, I booked myself a holiday. <laughs> I was just like, I missed the beach. And yeah that's gonna happen so a friend of mine found this airbnb in the coast that is a lighthouse it is so beautiful your view like it's literally on the beach your view is just the waves crashing into each other it has this plunge pool where you just like gaze at the waves actually on one of the days i sat there in one position for two hours and I didn't even realize it. The beach is like a three minute walk away. Like if you want to go down, down, down to the beach. It's it's so silent and ah, uh, so breathtaking. You know what I love about huge bodies of water I've found? Is that it just reminds you how beautifully insignificant you are. And in the most nicest way. I mean that in the nicest way. Because sometimes when you're going through things, you really, if good or bad things actually, you think that thing is the beginning and the end of everything in the entire world. You know what I mean? It just seems so big. And I don't know about you, but whenever I go to the beach, when I'm on a large, huge body of water, I'm just reminded of how in like small and insignificant we are in, in the best of ways that we are this tiny piece of this huge beautiful art piece of magic you know and instead of getting lost in what's happening in that tiny speck like soak up all the magic does this make sense but anyway that's that's the feeling I get whenever I'm by the beach like this past week I did some work on the first day actually did quite a bit of work on the first day and then the other days I wasn't even like picking phone calls or anything <laughs> I literally just rested and I think I needed that. I feel calmer and my skin is glowing. 
<laughs> so that was really great. And I'm also looking forward to this coming week. I'm going to be traveling again, and this time for work. I'm going to Sierra Leone for a conference. Hopefully in the next episode, I'll tell you more about it. But I'm really looking forward to that. I extended my trip by about two or three days just in case I can record some African stories there. So fingers crossed that that actually happens and that I travel safely. Yeah, so literally my message today is not like super deep. Hey, other days I'm telling you about boundaries, about life. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, you're the beach. <laughs> Let's jump into 100 African stories. So as I said, Grasha actually filled in our storyteller form. There's a link to it in the show notes. And she wrote in, she wanted to share her story. So we set up a day to record it. We recorded this story in person, which is awesome. It was really great meeting her. She has a very calming and, and strong energy. I remember really just soaking it all in during the recording and just feeling so connected with her story. So her story is going to touch on sickle cell and also grief. The latter being a very triggering topic. So in case you're not in the space to handle that, you may you may want to hit pause and come back to this episode on a day that you can handle talking about grief. But that really is what she talks about. And as I said earlier, the story is in two parts. So part two is going to be next week's episode. But here's part one. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Grusha Amunga. I come from Kenya, western part of the country. I was born and raised actually there in Bungoma. I was born in Kakamega, but I was raised in Bungoma. I'm the second born in a family of five. My brother is my follower, so we grew up like, and we have a very, very little age gap between me and my brother. From our early interaction, we were very close, but I think I can't remember when exactly that time was because I was very young, but that is the only thing I remember when I was growing up with him. There was a time he was he had started working, but he stopped working. He was so much in pain and he was just crying and he couldn't walk. I didn't understand because I was so young, but later on, we knew, like growing up, we knew that he needed extra care. We ne he needed to be loved more than anyone else. Like for instance, when my mom could bring five oranges, we knew four oranges for my brother and one oranges we will share among the three of us. It was pretty okay. We understood that, that part, but we didn't understand why he needed to eat four oranges by himself and the rest of us not to eat, like not share equally. He will constantly for him before he slept, he will be given milk, a glass of milk before sleeping. And for us, it was okay. We knew milk is for, for him, for griffins. So when I think it was, was when I was joining Standard 7 or something, it's when he came and told me, do you know I have sickle cell? I was like, what? You can't be having sickle cell. Like, Kids with sickle cell don't live this long. And you are, you look healthy. And what mean or like what do you mean that you have sickle cell? Like you can't be having sickle cell. And even our parents, I think until when we were later on older, it's when they revealed to us that my brother was had sickle cell. So for us, for me it was like, no, maybe my brother just overheard something and it is not true that he had sickle cell. But when I was joining in for one, I think that is when my parents told us finally that yeah, your brother needs this little extra care because he's a warrior or he's a sickle cell. He's suffering from sickle cell. So for us, it was now we started understanding him more, more than 
how we used to treat him. Instead at seven, he just knew people die. He just knew that you can't survive. Because that is what is taught in books. Like you can't live to a certain age. Because that was in 2000 and maybe four, five, when I was finding out that he was... He's a warrior. So I just knew that people don't live at, up to a certain age. People don't live up to seven years. Then here he comes. He see, he, told, he tells us that he's a warrior and all that. So it was kind of difficult for me to understand because we grew up pretty close. But our bond, was so, our bond was so strong that I think it didn't affect us so much. But it took upon me to really, really be there for him whenever he needed something and understand him and know that if it is him asking, he really needs it. So when I joined high school, it's when I started sharing maybe with my friends. Hey, you know what? Because in high school, I encountered one girl who was a warrior. She was really small. Warriors are really small in body. So she was really small and people would gossip that, oh, she's a warrior. She can't live up to such a certain age. And I was like, my brother is a warrior. Is a sickle. Like my brother is a sickle cell. Because back then we didn't have warrior. We just came to know about a warrior. Like later on, maybe later on in life. So back then, like people will gossip the way she can't live because she was in and out of school. That is the battle about the sickle cell disease. You are always, you can be admitted for two months, like you are in bed, in pain. The crisis, when the crisis attack, it can go up to people, even the, even the doctors sometimes lose hope on you. Because they see like, I know, this time around you will not survive it. So when I was in high school, there was a girl who who had the same disease. And people used to say that she'll not make it. But I used to encourage them. Even me, my brother is a sickle cell warrior. So if you say this one cannot make it, you are prescribing the same fate to my brother. Like he can't make it up to a certain, up to a certain age or something. So I think then they, no one talked about sickle cell when I was around in high school. So it was like this huge elephant in the room that you cannot talk about it because they only knew my brother will die at some point or something. The crises, I can't remember because I think when I was in Sunday the 6th, my mother took me to a boarding school. So I didn't live with him all this time. But what I remember, the pain crises I remember vividly is when he was in Form 4. I had cleared Form 4. So I received, like he used to call me at night. Every time he calls, he wants money for airtime. And I had just cleared Form 4. So there was a certain night this number called and I knew it is his number in school. Like the number he was using, it was not his, the friends. The number he was using in school, I ignored it. I was like, no, me don't have like 20 bob to somebody here, these guys. Why are they calling outside even? And it's... 12 in the midnight. Then they persistent. They persistently called me like, I think around, it was, it stops ringing, they call. It stops ringing, they call. So I received in Gambia, hey, Grifo, missing a do. Their voice on the other end was not him. So it was like harsh voices. Griffin is very sick. You need to come and pick him. And it was around 2 a.m. So I went and knocked at my parents' house. Hey, you, uh, someone has called me from Griffin's school, I think one of the students, and he says, Griffin is very sick. Someone needs to pick him. So my parents were like at 4 a.m., around 5 a.m., they were in school. And they wouldn't say who had ratted my brother sick because the teachers, like, no, Griffin was fine they, like in the evening. Even we saw him in class and all that. But my dad insisted, my son is sick. I need to see him. So when they went to, to pick Griffin, he was still in the dormitories. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk at all. So my brother, my dad had to pick him up. First of all, my dad is a, is a nurse. So he had to bring him home first because he used to administer medication for himself, like try managing it before taking him to the house. The situation got worse when he was still at home. So they had to take him to the hospital. He was admitted. And 
this is the time that they told my parents they need to go and prepare for his burial because this time around he's not coming out alive because he had lost his memory he couldn't remember my mom he couldn't remember my dad he only remember he could only remember me and anytime my parents will be near him he will get agitated and say you are mr so and so who beats me up in school or you are mrs so and so who beats me up in school and when he was joining in he was joining high school my parents were very clear this one you do not punish him if he misbehaves call me don't punish him because anything small because the sickle cell crisis is triggered with cold it's triggered with stress it's triggered with caning kids in our home he was the only exception he was never caned at all with anyone so we when he joined high school those were the the explanations or the instructions that they were given don't cane him if he ever gets himself in a situation that needs discipline call us we know how we'll deal with it so when he was in this crisis and in his own world my parents were shocked like he's actually getting caned in school and all that and my brother is a bubbly is a he was a bubbly he is a bubbly guy whenever he will walk in any room people will just love him he didn't struggle to fit in places he will he will fit in very high end places where no one in our family could fit but for him he will walk in and he'll be comfortable he wouldn't struggle fitting in certain situations in life and even in high school i think after the students around him really loved him like they would always look out on him that's why whenever he got sick they would secretly call home hey griffin is sick and all that so this same round he couldn't walk and he was so frail and everyone knew that he'll not survive everyone knew he will not survive and they asked my parents to go and prepare for his burial so my parents were broken but those good doctors good nurses who said like we're going to do some risky things it is not allowed but we're going to pump water it's more of your blood it's blood clots or in the veins your blood clot blood clogs the blood now cannot flow cannot flow easily so the pain now increases on that point so this time round i don't know where it had attacked i think it was in his joints mostly because it attacks the joints the chest and the head it was the head and the joints and those one are deadly you'd rather get an attack on your joints and everything but not on your head or your chest so i think after he stayed in the hospital for a month then he came home for two weeks so you see from four he didn't do like the first term my mom was like he cannot repeat for him coming to boarding school was his choice we tried to fight for him not to join a boarding school but he insisted he need to join a boarding school so even if he gets a d plus me i will be okay i want him to go through the school system like high school system and out because he was in a very <laughs> rough boarding high school back there it's equally known like you need to have muscles to survive to survive in that school so my mom wouldn't have any of it because they tried talking to her if they can let him to repeat my mom was like no whatever grade he gets me i will be fine <laughs> so that is how my brother go, went back to school and cleared his form fourth he got a c and my parents was like yeah you will do a diploma then we will do a degree don't worry in a university near us so he studied in western again for him he didn't have the choice of moving out of the my parents care and all that like as as we were let like you go you're strong you don't need like this close supervision because he needs to be told wear your sweater 
take your medicines because they live on medicines and their medications are not cheap. They're expensively. You can get a dose going for a week that is like 200 shillings and not so many people can afford the 200 bob weekly for the medication. So it was expensive. The diet is quite different from the rest. When my parents couldn't afford maybe nyama or kuku, we will do greens. For him, they will be having liver. For him, that is how delicate a warrior needs to be treated. So I think after Form 4, he had these crises coming, going, coming, going. Then it reached a point where he spent almost three years without having end pain crises. And then he thought he was strong enough to move around the country, even the world. And he started moving like around. He will be in Nairobi. And the way they had, they guided him not to come to Nairobi because of the weather, it can get a little bit chilly and it will affect him. So in 2018, because of his nature and his bubbly nature, he found himself working with a politician. And the politician really, really made his life, made him live his life well. Not in terms of financials or anything, but for him going places, meeting so many people, going from one district to another, from one county to another, like it was because of this politician, the wife to the politician, because they worked really close. I don't know why she loved him, but she just chose him to be working very closely with him. He will even come to Nairobi and not come to my house and go to the politician's house and stay there for a month or something. They treated him like a son. So 2018, he didn't have the pain crises and all that. And I think that is when he knew that he had to live his life because he started doing so many things. There were so many organizations or youth organizations that he started in Bungoma that he would help. Sometimes he would fund them without money. <laughs> Just like they need 10 people and it will need 2,000 for their transport from this point to this point. The little money he will have, he will pay for these people, like he was selfless. So 2018 was okay for him, 2019 was okay for him. Then in 2020, I think he fell ill, early 2020, mid-Jan. He fell ill, but he hid from everyone that he is sick. Even my dad, even my mom, he wouldn't come in the house when my parents are there because he knew when they see him, they'll know he's sick. So he hid. And the reason why he hid it was because they're going to open a sickle cell clinic in Voi. And he really wanted to, to go, to be part of the team who, was who were going to open that, the sickle cell clinic. So on the day he was coming to Nairobi, even the Makanga looked at him and they were like, Yo, you're not good. Because when, you when you are in crisis, you are his turn yellow. Completely, no single spot of white. The Makanga, they were like, are you sure traveling to Nairobi like this? You can't be going like this to Nairobi. Like, you'd rather go home. They didn't even know he's a, he's a warrior, but Jesus told him, go home. He was like, no, I have to go. So they called my first, that Sunday morning, because he traveled on Sunday. That Sunday morning, he had, updated, he had updated his status. Eh, the devil can't win. This sickness needs to go away. My first reaction was to call Griffins. Are you sick? No, I'm not sick. Where are you? the church. My brother knew about his condition so well that even if he had a flu, he wouldn't go to the church. So when he told me he's in the church, I knew, ah, maybe he's not sick because he wouldn't leave the home when he's sick. So I was like, maybe he's not sick. 
So they like, and what's that on your status? He went ahead and deleted the status. Then this Makanga tells him he's so sick and all that. He needs to go home. What he does is call me dad. Hey, dad. So this Makanga tells me, uh, my eyes are very yellow. What do I need to buy? This is unusual of him. He knows his medication. He knows he can walk to the chemist and ask for this, this, and this. So it's like, what do I buy? My dad was like, you can come back home and treat you. No, it is not something big. I'm not I'm not in pain. So they told him to have so many fluids. They need to have like water. They, he told him to grab water, his medication that he needs to have, then take it, then maybe grab a beetroot so that he can eat on his way to Nairobi and all that. So when he came, he was to come to my place. So when he reached Nairobi, I'm like, it is 8. And this guy told me he's traveling from 7 a.m. It's 8 p.m. He's not here. What is happening? So I call him. Hi, bro. Are you coming? Are you still coming? And he, no. The first lady has asked me to sleep at his at her house. So I was like, oh, okay. So why do you need to sleep at her house and you are to come to my place? Like for logistic purposes, we will be picked with from her house so that we can be taken to Voy. So like that is fine. So in the morning, on Monday morning, I call him again. Have you left Nairobi to Voy? Had you know? I'm in the hospital sick. I'm like, why are you in the hospital? Like, which hospital? Nairobi West. I was like, so will you be admitted there so that I can from the time I leave work, I'll come see you. At you know, I have to go to Voy. So I told him, Griffins, you can't travel when you're sick. You see, if you're in the hospital, you know you are sick. If you are not in the hospital, it will be a different story. But since you're in the hospital right now, you can't go. She was like, no, mommy, me, I'm used to <laughs> No, Grisha, don't worry. I'll be okay. I'll travel. You don't worry. I have a team of doctors with me, with us. I'll be fine. I'll reach very well. And when I reach very well, the clinic that we're going to open, I'll be admitted there. We started crawling, and he knows... He, he used to say I, I over-exaggerate situation when it comes to him because I always like, it is bad. His eyes are very yellow. He doesn't, his skin is pale. So he knew that if I went to see him, then I wouldn't allow him to travel. And if even if he would have slept in my house, I wouldn't have allowed him to travel. So he was like, I'll be gone. So I mean, like, we didn't even communicate thereafter because he was being stubborn and was like, why you, Why don't you agree to be admitted and all that? I didn't call. I just ended the call and I never checked on him like at all. The whole day I was like, me, I'm angry. This guy needs his situation. This guy knows that his situation is very serious and he's, he's really like, he's really making it hard for us to even help him. Why can't he just listen and not travel? Like, why can't he, why can't he just stay? Like, this, there are always so many clinics that they'll be opened. He can be on the next one. He doesn't have to be on this one. So, like, I was angry and I was like, me, I'm not calling. <laughs> I went through the day, finished Jobo, went back to, went back home. But around 5 p.m., I was like, hi, my brother was supposed to travel and he is sick. Let me confirm where they are right now. I am calling. No one is speaking. No, my heart is pumping like no what has happened to him i'm calling no one is speaking then i call a female voice answers i'm like hi i want to talk to griffins and he's like she's like griffins is that he's admitted at this hospital i'll not mention the name of the hospital at this hospital on our way to boy the crises were the crises increased the pain crisis increased so we couldn't, I am with him. <laughs> and for 
since we were young, we were told like he needed needed care. So me, I was like, I called at my office and I was like, I will not be able to come tomorrow. My brother is very sick and I need to travel to where he is. So in the morning, I wake up at 5 a.m. I travel, go to this county because it's, it's in a foreign county. They've never, I wouldn't say they've never dealt with sickle cell or something. Maybe they have, but they didn't know how. Maybe the people, him, he got them, didn't understand the situation. So I'm like, I called my dad, hey, Griffin's is admitted and he's so sick. I don't know what to do, but I'll be heading there in the morning. Can you come? So my father is like, yeah, I'll come. So we thought he'll travel in the evening. So we go. But my father, I don't know what what happened. I don't know. Maybe we don't understand because my father delayed. He didn't travel that night. In the morning, he didn't travel. He went to Shugulikia, his farm first. And everyone is like, Griffins is sick. You need to have left the house at 4 a.m. Not to be here doing these things. We can do these things. And so I left Nairobi in the morning. On Tuesday morning, went to the hospital. And I found him still at the emergency and accidents center. And I was like, you see, like that was the first reaction to him. You see the reason why this hospital asked you to be admitted? Because the hospital didn't even give him medication. They said, if he's going like this, as we are not giving him medication, we can't be liable for what will happen to him on his way. So they didn't. So we told him, I asked him, you see why it was important for you to be admitted? And you are just acting stubborn here. And he was like, ah, those doctors didn't understand that I needed to travel. And we're like, so what medication have you been given? I have just been given blood and just blood, no water. And he was sad when I reached there. And I was like, I, and why are you not happy? And she imagined these people are saying I am HIV positive. So yeah, like, like I was so mad. But you don't know who to address and tell them, no, he's not positive. He's a warrior and warriors are usually this tiny. And I I think it's my assumption. Maybe if they would have treated him with so much care and all that, maybe if they understood that he's in crisis, they wouldn't have left him at the emergency and accidents for that long. The whole of Monday, Tuesday evening when I came around midday in then it's when he calls me, they're transferring me to the ward. So I'm like, let me come and help you to the ward. So I was pushing the trolley he was on because he couldn't walk. We reached the hospital, the, the wards, they tell us they can't give him a bed if he has not taken a chest x-ray. It is protocol, like they can't give him a bed. We are like, but as we've been told to come here. One has asked us to go and do chest x-ray. Then there's one doctor who came and looked at my brother and looked at his vitals, report and all that, and he was like, give him a bed right now. Give him a bed, prepare oxygen immediately. They were like, Daktari, we can't do this. We can't do this. Say it on record that you are the one. The doctor said, like, give him a bed and ask whoever will ask you. Dr. So-and-so asked us to give him a bed without the chest X-ray. And we were so happy. Like, finally, my brother was going to receive the kind of treatment he needed. Maybe someone who understands this, this kind of diseases because almost everyone here doesn't understand how critical it is. So they gave him a bed and we were there. And I think it reached around 7 p.m. and they asked us to go out. Like, we can't sleep there with him. 
and for us it is it is like a tradition when my brother is sick my mom it's it's either my mom who sleeps with him in the hospital or my dad now that they're not here i'm the one who is supposed to sleep here with him so i ask them please let allow me to sleep with my brother tonight just tonight because he's so ill he doesn't know anyone here he needs to be supported because i remember when i when we finished giving because he couldn't even feed himself we were feeding him together with a colleague the lady colleague that they were with we were feeding him food and like i was feeding him the rice and the lady colleague was giving him the yogurt and at some point he wanted to go use the washrooms and he couldn't walk i had to support him take him to the to the washrooms and i was like you see this kind of care you will not manage with all these patients here you are a public hospital and you cannot manage let me help you with him tonight because i know he needed that care at night during the night because just as the usual things like night night is night comes with so many things so we begged and we, and they asked us if you guys are going to stay here you are not going to administer drugs to him so you choose you either stay with him and no drugs or you go away and have him given drugs so we had to leave so i had to call my dad like even if you're coming you'll not be allowed in the hospital don't come straight here sleep in Nairobi then wake up very early in the morning then come so i called my mother and told him i've asked dad not to come because they don't they're not allowing anyone to sleep with griffins even me have been made to go out and not sleep there with him so my mom was like no you will just have let your dad to come <laughs> it's already 7 pm my dad is not even here he's not even in Nairobi how will even reach here so i told him like let just dad rest he will wake up early in the morning and go so after my phone call with my dad his phone was stolen and like my mom calls me you know what your dad's phone is someone has stolen your dad's phone and the money that he had on him so he doesn't have anything and he has to sleep in a room in Nairobi he doesn't like of course he doesn't live here he doesn't so many he doesn't know so many places where he can like maneuver and go sleep but he's a man he finds it like my mom sends him some money from a foreign like from the lady who helped her call sends him some money finds a way he can sleep during the night then in the morning he will wake up to come so me i'm here my mom has already told me that my dad doesn't have a phone on him so i'll just have to wait and like i'll wait for him at the gate when he arrives so that i can show him where my brother my, my brother's bed catch more african stories in the next episode of legally clueless that's part one of grasha's story man our healthcare hey our healthcare systems my goodness they just stay failing us you know it really is preposterous the threats to family members i mean nobody wants to be in a hospital if you're there it's cuz you literally have no choice whether you're the patient or you're there to take a loved one in etc etc it's not a fun experience it's quite stressful you know and i get it i get you know that healthcare practitioners so nurses and doctors especially in like 
public hospitals and public healthcare facilities are going through it, really going through it when it comes to how they're treated by the government, the amenities, are they given what they need to be able to do their job well, pay, being overworked, like the list is endless. I get it. I get it. But I just feel like two wrongs don't make it right and the patient their family and you are on the same side so just listening to what her brother had to experience and how how do you get stigmatized <laughs> how do you get stigmatized at a hospital i don't know i feel like that should be the last place you get stigmatized that should be the last place that people because of your body size round you off to a disease i mean I just feel like at a hospital, there's enough science for that not to happen. There's enough knowledge or should be enough knowledge for that not to happen. Out here, perhaps it's not to say that stigma outside is better, but like you can almost excuse it with ignorance, you know. So hearing what her brother had to go through at that particular hospital is is just something else. So we're going to listen to part two of her story in next week's episode. That's episode 173. So hang on tight for that one. It is on the way. Of course, if you want to share your story on this podcast, yo, wherever you are, you have an African story. It's valid. We want to hear it. So we can record your story virtually or in person if you're in Kenya. We have actually like flown out to other counties to record stories like for a day. We fly out in the morning and come back in the evening. So I'm just like, wow, we're so professional. <laughs> but if you want to share your story, just fill out the storyteller form. The link is in the show notes. And speaking of filling out things, join the legally... What was that? <laughs> join the legally clueless Africa community. Just go to legallycluelessafrica.com and sign up because I have such amazing treats lined up for us and a lot of in-person events and retreats that are going to be awesome. Like our first workshop on the 13th of July. So if you're into digital content, if you want to start your own show online, you want to start your own podcast, this is definitely a workshop you need to attend. So on legallycluelessafrica.com, just Click on the workshops tab for more details. And we have sold about 30% of the slots already. So you need to buy your tickets ASAP. We have very limited spaces because we're trying to make the workshops intimate so that you actually get value, you know? Oh, mine. It's time for me to end this episode also because we have a new nighttime Ascari and I am so happy. The last nighttime Ascari or God was so mean to me and so rude. Oh my God. I just, I, I don't know what I ever did to that guy. I really don't. He even told me how I have a bad attitude. And then when I was like, can you like quantify when, when did this happen? So that, hey, maybe I'm doing something to you without knowing. Tell me when you experienced this said bad attitude. So I can address it and change. And he couldn't. He couldn't. He was just like talking out his ass. Man, hey, that guy. And he would fight like if any delivery guys came to that. He fought with each and every person on a Boda Boda stroke motorbike who came to deliver anything to this block. I really don't understand what was happening. So anyway, <laughs> it seems like I came back from my trip and he is no more. There's a new guy. But this new guy is 
booming some political rally he's watching on his phone. So I'm just hearing, Asimio, Asimio. And for context, it's like midnight. <laughs> okay, granted, with only two who are doing night shifts right now, but like, dudes, <laughs> what is not happening? Anyway, I'll take this. I'll take this over the last Ascari. That's the update on my God drama here. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to end this episode. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.